welcome back to the Lawali Life podcast. I hope you're all doing as well as you can wherever you are in the world, whether you're locked down or out and about again. I'm going to be here to keep bringing you some of the most inspiring people I know to help keep you grounded and inspired during this ever-changing time. For those of you that haven't tuned in already, I'm Alice Law and I'm your host and founder of Lawali Life, which is my coaching practice I've set up to help professionals and entrepreneurs and everyone to feel stress-free and become the calmest version of themselves. This podcast is based purely around stress and loss, which is pretty apt at this time, and it is a mixture of conversations with amazing leaders in their fields, from top CEOs, neuroscientists, authors, spiritual thought leaders, athletes, and entrepreneurs and more, guiding you through the greatest stresses and losses they've had to overcome, how they came back from them, with tips and inspiration on how to get you back through yours. I'm so excited to have today's guest on the show. Xander Parrish is one of the world's leading ballet dancers. He is a principal dancer for the Marinsky Ballet in St. Petersburg. He was the first ever British dancer to be asked to go and join them and dance for them over there. Since then, he's danced many a leading role, danced all over the world, choreographed some amazing things, and has also achieved getting an OBE at the age of 32 for Russian and British cultural relations and dancing. But above and beyond all that, he is also my big cousin. So I'm so excited to have him on the show, to be able to hear his story all over again. He's got such an incredible determination that's so inspiring. And to hear his story of how hard it was to get to where he wanted to be, but how he wouldn't have had it any other way is something I find really inspiring for people to listen to. And I hope you enjoy his philosophies as much as I do. podcast I have the amazing Zander Parrish who is a principal dancer for Marinsky in St. Petersburg Marinsky Ballet and Zander also happens to be my big cousin so <laughs> super excited to get to firstly speak to him today over in Russia and interview him so thank you so much for joining. You are welcome first time seeing you in a long time actually <laughs> I haven't seen you for like maybe a year. When, I know. You? <laughs> like when we saw each other last summer in London. <laughs> yeah exactly. So it's crazy crazy so I mean I love your story having like sort of watched it from afar and known it since we've grown up so first of all I just love you know you to tell everyone what made you want to be a professional ballet dancer okay well to be a, a dance dancing wasn't really on my on my sort of horizon it wasn't what I wanted I mean when I was a kid you probably remember I was just doing sports all the time running around playing tennis or cricket or football or anything with a ball I was like knocking it around just playing sports all the time so from being in school to being after school projects and whatever I was always doing active things I was probably a very hyperactive child by the sounds of it I was always running around <laughs> doing something and whether it was swimming or I mean mum was great she always took me and obviously my sister your cousin <laughs> Melzy to um, lots of after school activities and I think every every night of the working week we had activities so we were doing I was doing cricket one night Melzy was doing I think ballet every night I was doing cricket football tennis you know, whatever, I was doing everything. And then I think when I was around eight, I saw Melzi doing a, doing a show for ballet performing. And I was like, I was like, mom, like, why aren't I doing that too? That looks fun. And so like, literally because of that, 
mum was like, well, okay, if you want to dance, you're welcome to. So she took me along to Melzi's ballet classes. And with that, I was doing class two. And so from being eight years old, I started doing training. When I was 11, uh, I got a place in the Royal Ballet School in London. And that's when I moved down to, to Richmond to uh, go to professional ballet school. So that's how ballet started. Yeah, it's so cool because it's like you just decided, you know what, actually, I can try that. And then it became your whole oh, yeah. career and whole life, which is just amazing. I, I, I always say it was Melzi's fault, you know. She, she started <laughs> <laughs> doing the ballet. <laughs> I love that. But I mean, yeah. it's been such a journey from that point to where you are now. I mean, you're now, I can say this without embarrassing you, you are one of those sort of well-renowned, famous dancers in the world. And you're at the top of your game and you're your first British dancer to ever be asked to dance for Marinsky, which is incredible in itself. So, I mean, to decide to do that, I'd love you to tell people a little bit about that whole story of how that came to be, because at yeah. first you didn't even, you weren't even sure you were going to go at first, were you? Well, no way. Would you be? Someone said, yeah, come work in Russia. <laughs> You'd be like, yeah, sure, I'll go to work in Russia. No problem. I mean, it's scary. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, uh, Melzi and I obviously finished Rob High School when we were, uh, I was I was 19, Melzi was 18. We finished, and she was 17, actually. We finished Rob High School. We joined the Royal Ballet Company in London. That was the aim of the game, you know. You go to the Royal Ballet School, you go to the Royal Ballet Company. That's the idea of the training. So we joined the company in Covent Garden. We both shared a flat in Covent Garden together. We lived there for four, four and a half years. We, we lived together and worked for Royal Ballet. And then uh, we were both in the quarter ballet. So in, in any ballet company, there's a structure of um, hierarchy, like in any business. So you join the company in the lower, lowest rank, which is the quarter ballet, and then hopefully you, you know, if you are deemed to have facility to be a leading dancer, you get given roles and you eventually climb the ladder of rank, becoming a soloist or a principal dancer eventually. And so after four, four, four years in Royal, uh, I was still on the lowest rank of the company doing the basic stuff. I mean, for, for a girl in the quarter ballet, there's, there's no shame being in the quarter ballet. The quarter ballet is what makes a ballet company. And for a girl, that makes perfect sense. You know, if you are integral to any ballet, you can't have Swan Lake or Giselle or anything without a quarter ballet of beautiful girls dancing identical things. But for the boys, it's a different story altogether. You join the quarter ballet, you're like, oh, you can hold that cup, you can hold that spear, you, know, you can stand at the back wearing high heels and a wig. You're like, that's not what I signed up for. I mean, I have to dance. You know, you train in school. I mean, ballet school is not no easy thing. Going through ballet school was a, was a, was really tough. I mean, physically, emotionally, mentally, it's a very, very difficult place to, to, to grow up. In a ballet school where you're being assessed the entire time, being critiqued, your, your friends in school are your competition for roles and for your, your place in the school. If you get a particular percentage in your appraisal that's not high enough, you get kicked out of the school. And you're, you're assessed alongside your friends. And so it's a very you know, dog-eat-dog world, and you have to survive through school. So anyway, once you survive through that and join a company, you're like, okay, I survived, now let's do some work. And so I went to work, but I was doing boring stuff you could imagine, sat on stools, where, I mean, boys don't like wearing makeup anyway, but I had to wear makeup, high heels and wigs, <laughs> standing around on stage wearing fancy costumes. And I was like, what am I doing? And I, I trained, proper training to do classical ballet, which is a nurse, an art form, but it's a sport in itself in terms of its physicality. 
and I love to be active. I want to jump and dance and turn and do all the cool stuff you learn to do in school. And I was doing stupid stuff on the back of the stage, you know, doing absolutely nothing, which I don't want to criticize that. That's, you know, if people do that, and that's, that's great. But I didn't want to do that. I wanted to dance. And so out of the blue one day, um, a ballet master from Russia came to the opera house where I was working in London and he gave uh, some master classes for a couple of weeks in London. This guy was really young and energetic and a really, really good coach. He was like top, top class teacher. I was like, wow, this guy's amazing. And he gave me some attention in class, gave me some corrections. I was like, wow, this guy's actually giving me some help. That's really cool. So after class, I went to this guy. I was like, would you mind having a look at some of my jumps for me? I want to try and get better at my jumping. Could you have a look at this particular jump? I showed him some soda basks and some double tours, which are like double turns in the air. And uh, he was like, okay, yeah, show me. And so I showed him and we ended up doing sort of like a bit of like a bit of coaching for like half an hour, just, just off the bat, you know, not planned. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. Anyway, I said, thank you. I left him, went back to my standing on stage with my spear and, you know, doing nothing. And half a year later, that same man became director of the Marinsky Ballet in Petersburg. And he remembered me and was like, he sent me a message and said, oh, I'll become director now. If you want to come and join the company, I can offer you a job. I was like, uh, I was like, hang on a second. <laughs> what do you mean? Because like, you know, people don't really go that way. A lot, a lot of dancers come from Ukraine or from Russia and come to the West and dance in American and British companies. But very, very few people, if any at all, go the other way around. People tried to escape from the Soviet Union back in the, back in that time. So a lot of Russian Soviet dancers used to come over, such as Nureyev defected, Barishnikov, you know, Makarova, a lot of famous dancers who made their names in the West. They all defected from, from the Soviet Union to come and work in the West. And then I was being invited to go to other way. I was like, uh, hang on a second, that's not how it happens, you know. But anyway, I was like, okay, that's interesting. But I thought maybe he got confused. I was like, why, why, why would he want me to go to Russia? Like they've got Russia has, I mean, a fantastic school and incredible dancers here. And I was like, they don't need some guy from the quarter ballet from Hull to come and do a dance in Petersburg. I was like, maybe he's got a bit confused. So I kind of left it for a while. Anyway, a year later, he got in touch again. I was like, you know, we're coming to London on tour. I want to see you. Do you want to come and take class and come and train a bit? I was like, yeah, right. That's, that's harmless. It's in London. That's not going to do any, any damage. So I met him, this guy, the same teacher in, uh, in London while he was on, on tour. And he gave me some classes and we talked again. He was like, come to Russia. I was like, are you crazy? I was like, well, do you need to come to Russia? I'm British. I can't just go to Russia. He was like, what are you scared about? You know, you're a tour boy. You work hard. He told me, he said something very interesting. So, you know, it's not because you're some like, you know, amazing dancer. I mean, it wasn't because I was someone incredible who wanted to take me to Russia. He said, when you came to me and asked for me to help you back after that class, I could see you're a person who's hungry to work and you have an attitude I can work with. So if you want to come here, I can work with you. I can see that I can work with you just because you have the right attitude and I'll, I'll make you into something if, if you'd like to come. I was like, wow, okay. Uh, got to think about that one. <laughs> so I decided that it was an opportunity that I shouldn't miss. You know, some, Sometimes you get a, a God-given opportunity. It's like just... just out of the blue that you think wow that has to be something special you can't throw it away and so I accepted and that's why I came to Russia I just like I just it was a bit random I sort of came I didn't have a contract I didn't have a rank in the company I didn't even have a salary I just got on the plane as a tourist and came to Russia 
I didn't know where I was going to sleep the night I got here. And they, they found me a place to live and chucked me in, a, in an apartment near, near the theatre and I started working. Not very legally because I was a tourist, but even <laughs> so, I started doing training with the company, doing shows, and eventually things fell into place, you know. And that's just how it kind of kind of worked. But it was, uh, yeah, it was, yeah, adventure, what can I say? I mean, it's so cool because you went, like, you didn't speak any Russian. You're now fluent. And people who, well, you know, you're fluent to me. (laughs) I can fake it really well. (laughs) You're pretty good. You know, when you go to Russia, you know, I've worked for Russians and they're wonderful people, but they're a culture where they're not the most open until they get to know you. So you then have to build their trust and then they treat you like family. So coming into that environment is seriously tough. So, I mean, what was the greatest sort of stress in that whole journey for you? What was that change like? The stress was very much because of the unknown. I didn't know what I was getting into. On one hand, I was excited by that. It kind of excited me. I felt like Columbus or someone like jumping on a ship and going to the unknown, you know? Like, just let's go that way and not stop, you know? I kind of, I kind of felt like an explorer going into the jungle with a sword and like nothing else. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't speak any Russian. I'd done a few lessons on YouTube. Like I'd learned a few phrases, but I mean, language was not my forte in school. Like if I say I worked hard in school, I was good at academics, but I was not academic, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Uh, particularly with languages, I was in B set of French. Somehow I got, I got an A in GCSE. I do not know how. That is a miracle because I... <laughs> My my teacher would agree. I think I actually, I actually I think she was annoyed at me for getting an A because I shouldn't have. But <laughs> I, was, I used to stare at the window dreaming about I don't know arty things and dancing. She was like, Xander, 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 <laughs> come back to Earth. And like literally, I was not uh, uh, a linguist in school, so to go to Russia was like, yeah, it wasn't. I wasn't cut out to be a linguist, but anyway, I got here and I didn't speak any Russian, but that was kind of scary. I found that kind of scary because I didn't know what was being said to me. I didn't know what was expected of me. My boss, the guy who invited me, he speaks English. He worked in America for a while and he's a very open-minded international person. He speaks English and he's great. So without him, it would have been really hard, but he gave me an interpreter who helped me for my first few months in the company and he taught me himself. So... But then when things started to, you know, I mean, just even turning up here, it was, was, I can't even describe how much stress there was. I was terrified. I was getting, I got on the plane, I just arrived. I didn't know where I was going to live. I didn't know where I was going to sleep that night. I didn't know where I was going to be working. I came to the theatre like, I mean, for a start, it was kind of like David and Goliath because like I was nobody. Like I came here from holding spears in the quarter valley of Royal Valley. I came to the Marines where they have some of the biggest names in, in the ballet world and now was like hi <laughs> you know don't don't eat me for breakfast you know like <laughs> i was just like nobody and so literally it was kind of terrifying because all these eyes looked at me like come to work on the first day and they're like who's this guy you know why is he even here why do we need him and i just i just felt so unwanted <laughs> but you know i'm a happy jack and i just got on with it and tried my best not to uh, not to think about those things. I left my suitcase 
ready packed for about three weeks, just in case I was to run to the airport at any moment, just in case, you know, you can close the suitcase and go. That was my idea. But eventually I unpacked my suitcase after a few weeks and decided, okay, I'll stick it out a bit longer, <laughs> see, see how it goes. And eventually, you know, day by day, I took it one day at a time, one day by one day. But, you know, tomorrow I don't like it, I can leave. There's one flight a day to Heathrow. I can go back to, back to London if I need to. It's a three-hour flight. It's not, it's not like Australia. You know, it's, just, it's, just, it's just three hours on the plane. And the tickets aren't massively expensive. I could buy it tomorrow if I wanted to. You know, 500 quid and I'm going home. Yeah. So I thought, just stick it out. Every day, just stick it out one more day. Eventually, bit by bit, I learned where to find food. I learned how to ask for, for a direction to, to a place. I learned how to, how to ask for help or find someone who spoke English and that person helped me, you know? So eventually, bit by bit, slowly, 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 it just became a little bit easier, a little bit easier. But it was a very, very, very slow process and very hard. And my first, particularly my first year, was very lonely as well. Very lonely, very hard, the first year particularly. What was it that kept you there? Because, I mean, a lot of people in your position, you have to have this incredible drive and passion, which I know you do. But a lot of people in your position, because of everything you said, I mean, it's so daunting. You're getting taught in class in a different language so you don't even understand. No one's speaking to you. You've got no friends. You yeah. you know, it's such a scary experience and you're so alone. And then you leave work and it's exactly the same scenario because it's not like you leave work and then have friends. And it must have been so yeah, scary and isolating. But what kept you like wanting to stay to get to where you are now? A combination of things, certainly. I mean, all those all the things you mentioned are absolutely valid, absolutely right. And I had to balance it with something. And for a start, I, I, do, I do not like quitting. And I hate quitting. If I do something, I want to do it. Even if it, I don't know, even if I find it really, really hard, I, something inside me just does not want to quit. I'm the kind of guy who in school would play with my friends foosball like it was the Olympics and I had to win. <laughs> like they were the same we were all very similar and so you know we would have we were so competitive me and my classmates in school because it was sort of built into us somehow we were there to survive you know the weakest got got cut from the school and sent home and we didn't no one wanted to be the one that was cut so it, you know that I had this drive I didn't want to give up and I didn't want to fail but combined with the fact that I I also liked the idea of doing something different. I knew no one had been here before from, from, the, from, from the West as a full-time member of the company. No one had joined from the UK. No one had been a, an employed member of the Marinsky Theatre. It wasn't a thing. No one had done it before. And so I decided before, I decided when I came here that this was an opportunity. That, it was like, this is a God-given opportunity for me. For me, I, I have faith in God. And it was my faith in God that kept me going more than anything else. I, I'm a Christian, as you know, and... And I had to really draw on that faith for its time because without that, I don't think I could have done it. My, my drive inside helped me and made me do a lot and got me through a lot of it. But I don't think that would have been enough. I don't mm-hmm. think I could have succeeded. I don't think I could have stuck it out as long through the lonely times, through the difficult, through the, through the crazy teachers yelling at me in foreign language. I don't know what they're talking about. Through the some of the crazy ballerinas I had to work with who uh, made my life hell. Like, literally, I had some really difficult people to work with who I couldn't even argue back. I couldn't even, I couldn't even say the language. I was like, <laughs> you, know, you, can't, you can't even get a word in. You can't even, you can't even 
state your own side of the, of the case. You know, you can't even argue your case because you can't speak the language. I mean, <laughs> there are a lot of difficulties, but if I hadn't believed with all my heart this was a gift, a gift, I would say all this, all, everything, the whole thing, the whole experience, the difficulties included, I, I think it's all a gift. It's all a, a gift from God that I think has made my experience so unique that I couldn't just walk away from it. I somehow, every day, was just a little bit going, just, just keep going, just try a bit more. And eventually, just step by step, little by little, it got a little bit easier. And I mean, I'm talking, talking years. It took me a long time to feel even settled in here. I think even three, four, five years in, I was still like, come on, just keep sticking it out, keep going. It's not been an easy ride at all. And there's been pressure because the more I become successful here, the more the, uh, the more the critique has in, 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 increased, intensified. People, particularly from the West, bizarrely enough, the, Rus the Russian critics themselves, the Russian audience, are a very tough audience. They're very well informed. They know what they're looking at. They know what, what to expect. But they're very gracious and they support their, their dancers and their artists in their companies. There's a real art is in the blood in Petersburg particularly in Petersburg and in the whole of Russia. Russians know what they're looking at and they support their arts. And if they, if they, if you, if they see that you respect their art form, regardless of whether you have success on stage or not, maybe you have a bad show or something doesn't work out, but they'll respect your efforts and your respect of their art form, if that makes sense. Whereas in the West, people are much more quick to criticize what they don't understand. They'll, they'll see your video on, on YouTube of a bad performance someone posted and destroy you with their words for but they have no idea where you've come from they have no idea what you had to go through that day they have no idea that show was the day where you were thrown on with five minutes notice and had an injury and didn't know what was happening and had a new conductor you played the wrong tempo they don't care but they destroy you with their words i think they're okay to do that that's i think an exception to and there's a lot of that in the ballet world you'd be surprised at how how ruthless it is how the how everyone with a computer or an iPhone becomes a critic and they lay into people like you wouldn't believe. I've seen people, dancers crying because of people writing horrible things about them on, on forums, on Instagram, on YouTube. Comments are vicious. I have some Spanish guy who detests me. He goes around, <laughs> I don't know why this guy goes around finding my videos on YouTube and writing the most horrendous comments about me. Like, you wouldn't even believe the things he writes. It's so People are just, some people are just mean. And you're like, okay, get it and try it yourself. You know, before you go on stage with an audience of 2,000 people in front of you, with bright lights in your face, wearing an uncomfortable costume you can hardly breathe in, please have a go, you know? See if you can do any better. <laughs> see, possibly then try. You know, how do you, how do you deal with that? I mean, how do you deal with that constant critique? Because you're now in a position where you are in the limelight a lot. So you have probably even more of these yeah crazy critiques and how do you like mentally deal with that i try to compensate um com what's that word com compartmentalize exactly that one <laughs> <laughs> been way too long from the uk it's like english today <laughs> yeah thanks good lesson put it all in a box you know, i try not to focus on it too much because end of the day what you focus on in your head will come out in your feelings I know for, for certain that what I, what I focus my energy on, my head and my, my emotions and my thoughts, 
it will affect how I feel. How I feel will affect how I work. So if I take that criticism too personally, which I used to at the beginning, I found it really hard. I'll see you in the comments, I'll be like, but I tried my best, you know, and I would try to I'd prepare like a right back a comment or something. I'm like, but then not do it because you don't want to stir, stir up a wasp's nest. But at the end of the day, you've got to just, A, for a while I stopped watching anything. I wouldn't read anything. I wouldn't read any, any of the, uh, even the, the printed press. I wouldn't even bother reading the, not that I wouldn't bother, I would choose not to read the reviews or online or on newspapers, just not read them, whether they're good or bad. I don't want to know. I, I still, still today, I, I still do that. Sometimes I'll, I'll do maybe an interview or <laughs> like a newspaper or whatever and, or a TV interview and I won't watch it. Maybe I'll watch it a year later after it's been broadcast. Like at the time, I won't watch it. I don't want to see it. I don't want to see the comments. I don't want to hear the feedback. It's done and it's done. I've done my best. And if I know I've done my best, then I can leave it in my own mind with peace. If I can keep my own peace, and keep myself how to put it, keep myself to myself, do my work as best I can because I want to do a good job. You know, I, I told you, I believe God gave me this chance. If I can, if I can with all good sincerity, say before God, I've used what, I, what he's given me to the best of my ability and I've done what I can with it, then I can have good peace and I can just leave it at that. If someone else doesn't like it, I don't really care. They can talk to God about it later. You know, I've done what I can. I've got the facility I've got. I've got the strength I've got. The particular things, the strengths in my particular way of dancing, that's what I've been given, and I use it as best I can. I work hard. I go to class. I train. I do my exercises, whatever. If I do my best, then I can be happy with my work. If it doesn't look good, well, I can try and, try and work hard, and I do. I watched a video of myself dancing yesterday. I was like, oh, my goodness, what happened to my, to my leg? Because like I've been quarantined for four months and you're going to do a show, you're like, oh my goodness, that was really bad. That was really bad. But like that's why I don't watch stuff because like <laughs> I've become my own biggest critique. And I don't want to do that. And it affects how I how I dance. I'm like, oh and you get nervous. And then like if I get nervous, then <clears throat> I mean, coming back after the quarantine just now, I was really nervous. We yeah, had, we had five shows since the quarantine, and for each one particularly the first one, I was like in the wings before the show, like, oh my goodness, can I still do this? It's been like four and a half months since I've been on stage. It doesn't sound very long, but it felt like, like an eternity. I was like, can I still do this? Can I get back on stage? Will, will, I, will my legs hold up? Will I be able to still do the partnering? Will it come together? And I was really nervous, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's so understandable. I think people like, eat. some people are just nervous about going to the shops now. So I can't imagine how yeah, you must yeah, have yeah, felt yeah. being nervous to go back on stage when you haven't yeah. even been able to go around a stage for however long. It's it's crazy. It's such a challenge in itself. It's, um... Yeah, so I was really nervous. But, you know, the face, I was like, okay, <laughs> 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 and fall over. <laughs> Don't do anything stupid. <laughs> what do you think is... So, as you say, like, ballet is notoriously a really tough world. I mean, there's even, you'll probably hate me for saying this, but, like, films like Black Swan and stuff that paint yeah. in this really harsh light and people have this perception of it. But it obviously is tough, and you have to be tough to make it at any stage to the top or even to get into a company in general. But what do you think is the toughest challenge for dancers day-to-day -day, or the toughest challenges? I think keeping focus. I think, I think partly I've succeeded not because I've been the best dancer around, but certainly many dancers who are much better than me physically and technically, dancers who are much more able than I am. But 
I've persisted and not given up. I've seen more successful dancers not fail, but not reach their potential because they've either had it too easy or they quit too soon or they've not been pushed enough. I wasn't the best in my class. For instance, I might be one of the, one of the most successful dancers now, particularly from the UK. There are, there are many great dancers who I know personally who are better than I am. But maybe I've become, I somehow I've become a famous dancer. And I don't think it's because of anything other than just persistence, being in the right place at the right time, taking the right opportunities, and just keeping going. Sometimes it's the last man standing who wins. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm the last man standing in, in some respects. I'm, I'm, still, I'm still here. I'm still in Russia. I'm still going. And I became a principal dancer here three years ago, which I never expected because I'm a foreigner. Well, now I became Russian, actually. But, but before that, I was just a foreigner. And I never thought the Russians would give a foreigner the prestige of being a principal of their company. But Yuri, being my boss and being the one who brought me here, he, he rewarded my, my tenacity and hard work, and he thought it was time to make me a principal, which I never expected for a second. I didn't think that would ever happen, politically as well as this is what was my own ability. But, you know, I'm very grateful for that. That's a huge blessing. But, you know, again, sometimes, as I want to repeat it, it's so important. It's just sometimes you just have to keep going. Not, not to the end of the race, just one extra step. It's like tortoise in the hair. It's sometimes, it doesn't actually work out like that sometimes. And for me, I'm sure that's how, it's, that's how I've survived, just by doing one small step at a time, not massive leaps, just steady, slowly, surely, bit by bit. Is how massive it works. leaps, no pun intended. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, seriously, I'm absolutely serious. It's so true, it's so yeah. true. I think we, like, humans are so quick to forget that was so easy to look ahead and be like, oh my God, I'm not where I want to be or I haven't got there yet. And then actually, when you look back, you think of all the tiny little steps you've taken. It really just is about that small progress, like you say. And I think it's really, really cool that you say that as someone who is now where they actually completely want to be in terms of their career, because sometimes where you want to be can feel so far away for people. So I like that, Sandra. Reminding everyone the baby steps matter, guys. Baby steps matter. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's actually fun. one of my... It's actually a... Uh, one of my favorite uh, lines in the Bible, which says, do not despise the day of small beginnings. And it's so true because the small beginnings make good endings. You know, I started very small and I've seen dancers zoom past and become superstars in five minutes and then have breakdowns and huge problems emotionally. And, but I became successful very, very slowly maybe on the limits of slow, because I became a principal when I was 30. That's late. Most people become principals when they're 23, 24, 25. I became a principal when I was 30 years old. That's quite late in the ballet world, because it's, it's, it's career is not like an opera singer. You, know, you, you can dance until your early 40s, and that's pretty much how it goes for, for an onstage career. And so to be 30 and becoming the leading dancer, that's quite late. I mean, it's not, 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 not unheard of, but it's on the later side of becoming a principal. And so but I'm grateful for that, because... I think I've learned patience through this and become, it's kept me grounded. I don't think, I don't have high, you know, what's it like, oh, I'm so amazing. No, I don't have <laughs> sort of like, uh, that's not who I am. And I, I don't want to ever be like that. I don't think too much of myself. And I'd rather just do my work well and, you know, that's fine. So I sort to be the star, fine, whatever. I just do my work. And if that, if that brings me success, then I'm grateful for it. That's great. But it's not the be all end all. At the end of the day, we should do our work because we enjoy it and try and do our best for ourselves. 
Yeah. I love that. What's been what's been the greatest part of your career that you've what's what makes you the happiest about what you do? I've loved traveling the world. With ballet, you wouldn't think of it, but actually I've had the chance to go to the ends of the world and see so many cool places that otherwise I probably would never have been to or had a look at. I've been toured, I've been taught I've been touring in crazy places around China and the tip of Japan and the you know, Mexico and Canada and everywhere. I've been dancing in theaters on tops of mountains in Switzerland and I just crazy places on the beach in in, in, the, in the in the Maldives. They built me a stage. I did shows there. Like I'm so grateful for these like unique opportunities. They get to go somewhere you just don't expect to, to to usually usually be. And even in Russia as well, I get to come to Russia and learn a new language, learn new culture, learn about different people who actually are not dissimilar to to ourselves in Yorkshire. I find Russians very similar to Yorkshire people in a way. They're very open once you know them and very sort of friendly and inviting. I mean, I'm not casting any sort of political comments on the political class. It's very different. The politi- politics in Russia and people in Russia are very, very different entities. I'm sure you understand. Yeah. It's very different. Very different. The, Russian, the Russian people are delightful people and so similar to us as Brits. I find them very similar to us. I think their culture is not dissimilar to us in the UK at all. Yeah, I completely agree with that. It's really similar. I mean, we have so, so much more in common with the Russians and with so many other cultures who, who the UK readily embraces. So I think we should have a lot more friendship with, with our, you know, cousins. Russia, I mean, the Russians and the Brits, we have a lot of, a lot of, uh, lots of contact. I mean, contact. I mean, even with like our royal family, for instance. I mean, so much, so much, so much there. We have, to, we have to be friends, you know? And I, mean, I know there's a lot of problems politically right now, but maybe we, maybe we can make... We, you, you and me, Alice, we can make a difference. We can, <laughs> yeah, exactly. we can, well, you already are. You had your OBE for Russian-British yeah. cultural relations as well as That's dancing, right. which yeah, is so yeah. cool. <laughs> so That's cool. True. I was really, really tough to get that because that, that was a shock out of the blue. I wasn't expecting that for a second. Um and that's actually what I'm most proud of, I think, because I mean, dancing is dancing. I dance because I love to dance, and that's a great privilege to dance. People enjoy watching me dance. Hooray, wonderful. But to actually get an OB for improving relations, even culturally, between our nations, that's much more important. To have that tie, to have that, you know, they say that culture is the, is the strongest and maybe the last uh, rope between you know, two countries that have uh, problems, you know, and, and the cultural ties can be sometimes make a massive difference in relations between the countries. So I certainly hope this my being here has some sort of positive influence on our current climate. Yeah, I love that. It's so cool. It's so amazing to get at the age you got it as well. Because how old were you? You were. I was, uh, just... I was thirty-one. Yeah. Yeah, well, super uh, young. Thirty-two. I was thirty-two when I got it. Yeah, sorry, That's cool. Amazing. Uh, it's really funny because when we went to the gate of Buckingham Palace to uh, you know to go in, the guy turned to Dad and said, "Is this for you, sir?" <laughs> He's like, "No." <laughs> <laughs> <"Don't> I <stop." laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Not today, sorry. <laughs> Not today, but for him today. <laughs> so funny. And then everyone else in the line, but all, all the recipients were like, must have been in their sixties and seventies. Like I was the only person who was like young with. Without grey hair, <laughs> I was the only person. <laughs> I love that. So cool. Um, me and Andy Murray, he was there that day as well. <laughs> <laughs> I love Andy Murray, actually. He, yeah. 
bossy guy. Um, okay, from like a day to day, because I just want people to understand, you guys have a seriously grueling schedule. I mean, you said to me you don't even get Sundays off, do you? Oh, we work. We work which is weekend. which is crazy. It's like yeah. seven days a week. It's tough, tough, tough. So, what's like a normal week for you, for example? Well, I mean, before the quarantine, for instance, because now it's all different. It's all changed. It's much different now to it was before. Back in normal days, before before the current crisis, um, certainly we would work. Yeah, we officially we get we got Mondays free. That was our free day for all theatres and museums in Russia. Uh, Monday is the day off because obviously weekend we want people to go to the ballet or go to the museum. Um, but actually, in reality, we used to work Mondays too. They would put in rehearsals, shows, anything. We'd be working straight for weeks and weeks. Particularly March is our busiest time of the year in Marinsky because we have an international festival with invited guests from abroad and, and new pieces and new choreographies and just everything at once. And so back at the beginning of February into March, we were rehearsing like slaves. I mean, you wouldn't believe we were... I mean, we start... We, we start at 11 a.m., which just sounds very, very good, but you need to because you get to bed at 1 or 2. And after a show, you finish the show at 11 p.m., get your makeup off, get a costume off, get home, get showered, eat. You're in bed by 2 a.m. You know, you're up again for class at 11 a.m. the next day. If it was at 9, you'd be <laughs> passing out on the floor. So, yeah, you need that. But, again, it just doesn't stop. I was rehearsing something like five or six different ballets every day to get ready for my shows. And to rehearse me, you need to be physically ready and give everything you've got. Like, imagine doing, I mean, maybe each rehearsal was between an hour and two hours or half an hour. So maybe through the day, I'd be rehearsing, I don't know, from 11 through till maybe nine or in the evening or seven or 10 or whatever. It's, every day is different. And you're jumping and partnering and lifting and learning and your brain's learning new choreography your body's getting tired trying to find time to eat do the wash and go to the shop it's like i mean it's like non-stop non-stop and so in the in the middle of in the march when the when the lockdown suddenly hit it was like from going from 100 to zero in no second like hitting a brick wall like literally we were all doing flat out shows i just had sleeping beauty with a guest star from London who'd come over to dance with me, one of my friends, Lauren Cutherson from Royal Ballet, who'd come to dance with me here in Petersburg. We'd re she'd arrived and rehearsed that, we'd done the big performance, big stress, because it's a massive show, and very important to do an international show with two different dancers meeting and doing the, like, in a short time. With that, I was doing a, a new creation with one of my friends in the theatre, making a new ballet, so I was rehearsing that at the same time. We had a new ballet being staged by a choreographer from America through Zoom, we were doing rehearsals with him on through through a TV screen. We were rehearsing for like six hours a day with that alone, let alone with the other pieces as well. And then suddenly they're like, "Okay, tomorrow you can't come to work." So we've got locked down the theatre. We're like, uh, "Hang on, what?" <laughs> and so you're like, "What, what, what do I do? <laughs> what, I got free time. What, what do I do with myself? I don't know what to do." I was like, "Yeah, like I never have free time." <laughs> Never. So, like, it was quite, it was like hitting a brick wall. It was crazy, absolutely crazy. But, you know, I, the first week or two, I was like, this is amazing. I can rest. And then I was like, mm, I want to get back to work again. I'm missing the stage. <laughs> so, <laughs> How did you keep keep yourself all well, as fit as you could during lockdown? Because yeah, you my, guys have to keep fit. Yeah, I mean, it was really, really hard. 
almost impossible. I mean, without having a, I mean, a lot of companies in the world don't have the same, um, I mean, actually no company in the world has the same schedule as the Marinsky. Marinsky has the most shows by far in the world, without a doubt. We have hundreds of shows, hundreds of shows a year, maybe, maybe three or 400 shows in a year. Other companies have much less, maybe 120 shows, maybe, maybe 100. Maybe have a season of 90 shows and they rest for a couple of months and they have 90 shows, something like this. But we, we just do it all the time. From September through to August, we do shows like 40 shows a month. And I mean, obviously, I'm, for me personally, as a principal dancer, I don't do all the shows. I just do maybe four or five a month. But that's, that sounds not very much, but that's a huge amount because to get a full-length ballet ready, you need time. And you can't do it all in one day. You've got to build up your stamina, learn the choreography, get, get a new partner, find out what she wants and lift her around and get strength to do that. And it can take a long time. And so to have two or three days between each show, sometimes it would be four or five days between a show, doing Swan Lake one day and you rehearse four days with Giselle and do that show and then rehearse four days with Nutcracker and do that show. It's like a conveyor belt, never stopping. <clears throat> and so... Yeah, it's like super hard to keep that. When you tell me when you stop to keep that level of fitness, it's the shows that were keeping me fit because doing performances is what actually kept me in shape. I wasn't doing training to keep myself fit. I was doing shows which were keeping me fit. So until I don't have no shows, I was like, well, what can I do? I went to run, went, I up on trainers, went running around around the cathedral here. There's a cathedral on the street here. I was like running around it in shape, but it's not the same as doing a performance because performance A, you've got stress. B, you're wearing an uncomfy costume usually and you've got bright lights in your face and you have to run around and lift a girl. So I could do running, lifting a girl around maybe. Maybe it'd be the same effect, but it's like they're trying to find that stamina, hit the stamina. It's like, it's not quite the same. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> you'll get back completely to where you were. I'm sure you're super on the way already. Oh, yeah, now now it's now it's almost there. Yeah. What's what's so if what's the feeling for you that like amazing feeling that you have when you've completed one of the best shows you've done or you felt like you danced the best or you're in the best role that you love? What's that feeling for you at the end of the show? It's really euphoria. I mean, when you've had the stress of rehearsing for several days or even months, whatever weeks, new new ballet especially you had the stress, you've been trying to get it ready and suddenly you do a performance and it all comes together in, that, in those three hours everything come together and every little bit works, all the little tiny nuances and the lifts, the grips, the partnering, the jumps towards the pirouettes. If you can tick every box, it's very rare that everything, everything happens all the time. It's very rare for, for, for there's been no mistakes in a ballet. It's very rare. But if it does happen and you finish the show, you're like, <sighs> it worked. It's like the relief, and the, it's like, I mean, because of all, course, because of the energy, because of the, um, the physicality, your body's releasing all these endorphins. Obviously, after a show, you're just like high as a kite because you're full of, you've had all the, um, all those endorphins running around your body, and also the, you know, the what's it called, the that chemical that makes you. <laughs> come alive what is that <laughs> adrenaline. <laughs> adrenaline adrenaline <laughs> sorry 
<laughs> exactly, all that stuff. It's all there. It's all like we're all we're all junkies for adrenaline in the ballet world. So, like, you know. yeah, it's natural, but still, it's like you know, you get addicted to it. And it's the feeling of this of the, the euphoria of the success after a show and all come together, and you can actually relax. And then next day, back into the rehearsal again for the next piece. But you know, even so, that short moment where you've got one show completed, one show down, next one. You know, for the whole year like that till, till the summer break and you can relax completely. If someone said to you you had to start from the beginning and do it all again, like everything, mm-hmm. school, all the ups and downs, coming to Russia, the whole journey that you've been through, <laughs> would you? Yes, absolutely. What a journey, what an, what an adventure. It's been a huge adventure for me. I wouldn't, I wouldn't blink. I'd do it twice, of course. Yeah, it's been an amazing adventure. I love, love adventures. And doing something different. You know, I mean, I've had the privilege of being able to break the mould a bit and do something a bit different. And that's always fun. Be a, yeah. It's only goes out first. Now, because of me, people coming to work in Russia now, people in the ballet world are less, are less daunted to come and work in Russia. People now in the Marinsky, we have 12 foreigners. And they all, they all wrote pretty much, they all came after me and were talking to me before they came here. We're like, you know, how have you found it? You've succeeded. They're like, yeah, I'll come too. And... Even one dance critic called it the, the Xander effect. <laughs> Can you believe it? I love that. that. <laughs> yeah, really, if we were going to work in Russia, because I was the first one, I'm like, that's really cool, you know? So I'm really, I'm really proud of that. I mean, not because of me, it's because it's how it worked out, but it's, it's really cool. I love that. I always ask everyone this question who's on the podcast, so I'd love to know your answer because I know, as you've already said, you have a really strong faith. So what does spirituality personally mean to you? Oh, it's massively important. You know, people aren't just physical beings. You know, all we can see, all we can taste, all we can smell, all the experiences we can have, they're, you know, they're all centred around physicality. We're all, we're all physical people, you know? Ballet is a physical art form. We go to, to museums, look at physical things. We watch, we listen to the music. It's coming from physical instruments. We can't see it, but it's physical. This is all physical stuff. But what touches you inside? It's not the physical side. Your eyes interpret what, what, what you're watching. Your ears listen to the music and interpret it into your brain. Your, your taste buds taste the culinary delights of the restaurants you go to you know, enjoy. But, you know, that's all physical stuff. What is it that touches you? What is it that affects you emotionally and causes you to go, oh, wow, or makes you dream or makes you hope? It's a spiritual side of you. you know? People are not just physical beings and people often like to try and make it out that they are, but that's, that's just not the case. You know? I mean, I look at it from a Christian point of view because that's, that's what I've, as I believe in. That's what I have my faith grounded in. But I believe God made us with you know, more than just a two-dimensional cardboard cutout we're not just, <laughs> that's not what we are we're people who have a spiritual being inside us that's who we are it's a real person and you know that's what that's what real life is when you can enjoy stuff and have it have it touch your spirit have it touch your heart and that's what spirituality is that's you know that's that's true life i think yeah i love that i think it's so true and i love how you said i think that, you know, your journey earlier, you would, don't think you would have survived all the toughest days without that without, sense. Without, without that sense of being God being with me. You know, God promises in his word that he'll never leave you, never forsake you. It's one of Christianity's greatest promises. And to have that comfort of believing and knowing and feeling in my spirit that God was taking care of me, providing for me, was a huge relief. 
you know, I believe God said to me, just go. I, I did pray about it before I went, before I came to Russia. I didn't just jump on the plane and go, yippity-doo, you know, bye. I, I prayed about it. I, I tried to see what God was trying to show me through this experience. And what was it, was it something that was just a crazy idea from a nice, right, nice Russian teacher who wanted me to come to Russia? Or was it actually a, an opportunity to do something out of the ordinary? And I, you know, I can't say I've got fireworks and, you know, <laughs> something. But I felt in my heart that God said, this is, this is a gift. This is an opportunity for you. And trust me, I'll take care of you. So I okay, think, fine. I got on the plane and I came. I didn't know where I was going to sleep. I didn't know where I was going to eat or have food. But I got to the airport. I landed here. And there was a man to meet me called Dimitri. He spoke English. He took me to a building. He said, okay, you can live here. And it was by the theater. It was a big room. I was like, great. <laughs> you know, a bit of things fell into place. And, you know, I believe with a bit of trust, with a faith, you know, God will honor your faith and take care of you as you believe him to. And that's what he's done for me. So I have no complaints. I've been very, very blessed and very well taken care of here. And I've had have a career and an adventure and a story I couldn't even have dreamt about. So when I was back in the Royal Ballet, holding my spears going, ah, oh, please let me dance. <laughs> God heard my prayer, and so here I am doing like <laughs> you're more dancing than you could ever imagine. Well, yeah, exactly. Be careful what you pray for. <laughs> you where you can end up. <laughs> okay, I've got a couple more questions, then I'm going to let you go and dance yeah. and do everything yeah. you need to do. So, what is okay? If you have two two parts, so what's been one of the funniest sort of funniest memories or challenges you've had to go through in your whole ballet career and what's been one of the greatest oh, I mean, the language for a start was really hard I've got, I've got many funny stories about language many funny stories maybe one of them for instance one of my first shows here uh, so I was doing this show where there were me I was on stage with four four me and three boys we were dancing together and a couple in front and we finished we did our number everything was fine we did our bow and then the guy next to me turns to me and says in Russian something like, blah, blah, blah. I don't know what he's saying. And I was like, okay, that must mean let's go. So I was like, I walked off stage into the wings. I was like, hey, we're done. We're finished. Turned around and they were still on stage. I was like, oh, why are they still on stage? And then like the guy who talked to me, he walked into the wings, collected the girl who just danced and brought her to the center for a bow. I was like, oh, that's what he said. I didn't know what he was talking about. And I was like, and then they're like, and my boss came back. He was like, Xander, are you okay? Did you hurt yourself? Why, why, why did you go off stage? And I was like, I thought we had to. <laughs> I was like, I'm what trying here. <laughs> I was like, I'm getting what they say. I was like, oh. oh. <laughs> many funny stories about language. I got so confused so many times. <laughs> I love that. And what's the, like, one of the greatest moments whilst you were dancing? Greatest one dancing? Um... I think I had uh, the chance. I told you about these shows in the Maldives. I had, a, I, had a, I had a friend who worked for a hotel chain in the Maldives, and they were like, oh, can you come and do some shows for us? I was like, yeah. And so we went there, and they put us up in the, like, 10-star hotel, which is utterly gorgeous. Built us a stage on the, on the sand on the beach with the water behind, the palm trees. And I was, like, doing this show. I brought some of my friends from the Marinsky, went and danced there, did, like, a one-hour performance of gala pieces and I was like this is a lot life I'm on the beach in the Maldives dancing like it was just crazy yeah, it's like a fairy tale it was amazing so I think that was probably my that was one of my best best stories it was so cool 
I love that. Okay, so to finish, I always ask people this as well. What's one sort of intention or mantra or sentence or something that keeps you motivated and driven and going? Mm-hmm. Very good, very good. You know, mom always, my, my, my mom, your auntie, always always used to say, to, well, still does sometimes, but when I was younger, when things were tough and didn't work out, she'd say, don't forget, if there was no pressure, there'd be no diamonds. It's very true. I was like, yeah, she's right. You know, pressure makes diamonds. You can't get diamonds from nothing. That carbon gets squashed and bang, it becomes a diamond. So I was like, yeah, okay, that's a good one. I like that. So I stick with what mom's saying in my head a lot. You know, no pressure, no diamonds. Keep that. Whenever I'm under pressure, I'm like, okay, it's going to make something good. Come on. Definitely has. It definitely has. It's amazing what you've done. I just, I love, I love watching from afar. And like I said, I need to come see you in St. Petersburg. Always welcome. Come, only, come having, with... only having seen you dance in the UK seems a bit wrong, considering where you've well, been. We've got to come to the gold grandeur of Marinsky. Come and see our beautiful theatre here. It's amazing. Yeah, exactly. Thanks so much, Zander. It's so wonderful having you on. And I'm sure, okay. I mean, if Absolutely people want to follow welcome. you, they can... They can find you on Instagram and all over because you have some amazing pictures that are very inspiring to follow. We need a little boost. Yeah, come see some crazy pictures of jumping around Palace Square in the middle of the night. (laughs) 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 It's so great. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the Lawali Life podcast today. I really hope you enjoyed this episode with the amazing Xander Parish. And if you are enjoying the episodes, then please click subscribe and download them all so I can continue to bring you more amazing guests like him from around the world and help keep you inspired, motivated and get you through your own stresses and losses. Stay tuned.